Defended by Simmons. Is this the Tiger? Battleborn Phantom. Hello and welcome back to the Battleborn Lease Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Anselmo, here with my co-hosts, Daniel Gaeta and Joseph Angelone, a.k.a. Giuseppe. We're here from the Battleborn Fan Talk Network, and we're here to talk some Maple Leafs hockey. All right, so the team so far is 28-2. They are third in the Atlantic Division. Daniel, let's start with you. What's your thoughts on the Leafs season so far? I think this season has been very, very successful so far. Actually, before we say this, I just want to mention I'm very thankful for you to bring me back onto this podcast. It's always a pleasure. We get back to it. Um, yeah, the Leafs have had a great season up to this point. I wouldn't say I wouldn't change a thing, as obviously they did have a rocky start. Their superstars did take a little bit of time to heat up. But Matthews is doing well. Uh, Morgan Riley's looking comfortable. Uh, once Marner gets back, I'm sure he'll pick up right where he left off. And Nylander was great from the beginning. So I think uh, it's been great. I totally agree with what you said. Now let's send things over to Joseph making his debut. He's going to be here with us moving forward for the remainder of the Toronto Maple Leaf season. So, Battleborn Nation, please welcome Joseph Angelone, a.k.a. Giuseppe, his official nickname. Joseph, welcome to Battleborn Leafs. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, when we're talking about the team, you know what? Obviously, we didn't get the ideal start. I think losing five of our first seven games. But you know what? The team as of late looks phenomenal. You know, very minor mistakes here and there. Obviously, no team is perfect. But I think the Leafs have proven they're one of the hottest teams in the league. And I can't complain. Let's just move on. All right. So going through the season, Austin Matthews, um, obviously he had the wrist surgery. Um, missed the first three games. Um with Dreisaitl and Ovechkin, with how hot they started, nobody was talking about Austin Matthews for the Rock de Richard. Um, it was like he was out of it like two weeks into the season. Um, even just last month um, in November, people were talking about how, you know, this is Dreisaitl versus Ovechkin for the, uh, and McDavid for uh, the Rock de Richard. But Matthews shot out of a rocket. I believe he has 11 goals in his last seven games. Um, Daniel, number 34, Austin Matthews, the franchise center of this team. Are you surprised with how he turned it on, or did you think this list was always just going to come through? I know when he came back from his wrist surgery, everyone had worries, everyone had doubts, but no, I knew from the beginning. The Rocket Richard winner was going to turn it around. Not surprised at all with uh, what he's doing right now. He's just a natural-born goal, goal scorer, and you can see it every night. I totally agree. Now, Joseph, uh, a.k.a. Giuseppe, what do you think? Yeah, you know what, Josh? I was watching TSN, the quiz, and it seems like everyone had their doubts about Matthews even catching up to dry saddle and Ovechkin in terms of the scoring race. But you know what? There wasn't a doubt in my mind. He's probably one of the best natural goal scorers we've ever seen, I've ever seen. And you know what? If it's not his typical shooting from point blank, you know, he's getting in front of the net, tipping shots, deflections here and there. You know what? I think Matthews 
is a big consideration for the Richard. I would never have ruled him out from the start. You know, I'm going to build off that. Um, that's actually something that's uh, really encouraging um, in my perspective is we're so used to seeing Matthews come in through the neutral zone with such speed and pedigree and, um, you know, using his quick wrist shot to beat goalies. But this year he's really scoring goals in all different aspects of the game. Um, he's really getting in front of the net. Um, we saw him get a couple ugly goals uh, in the homestand uh, uh, last week. Um, we've seen him tip pucks, like you said. Um, you know, his whether he's scoring a spectacular goal or just crashing in a rebound, um, he's doing it all this season. And that's what I like so much about his game this year is that he looks like such a different weapon that we saw last year, where last year is more using his generic shot and beating goalies up high on the power play. With now he's finding ways to get open, and he's really improved his game to be a weapon in all different areas. And it's certainly caused a lot of trouble for uh, the opponents that they played so far. And I think now that he's on a run, he's going to be extremely hard to stop. And um, you know, Ovechkin and Drysaddle, they do have the goal scoring pedigree to keep up with Matthews. But I believe that Matthews, um, the way he's just improved overall and how he doesn't necessarily rely so much on the power play as a guy like Dreisaitl does. And even Ovechkin, um, you know, Ovechkin is just a pure special t uh, player um, at his age, being able to do what he does. But, um, you know, Ovechkin's uh, all, always known as that kind of guy on the power play in the high slot one-timer. So I think Matthews overall is probably the best scorer, uh, goal scorer um, for the future. Obviously, Ovechkin with the waste um, attempting to catch Gretzky is probably the current, but um, there's no doubt in my mind that Matthews is going to be the goal scorer of the next generation to come. Um, so moving on with that, um, let's talk about Morgan Riley. Uh, Morgan Riley kind of started off the season a bit slower um, than a lot of people expected. Um, he was in a contract year at the start, but Dubas um, gets uh, him his extension. Like I predicted um, early in uh, the uh, the season, I said he was going to get around 7.5. Um, that ended up being true. I thought it was going to be more of um, a short-term deal. It ended up being long-term. Rightly so. Morgan earned that contract. You know, he's been with the Leafs since day one. Um, really helped build the foundation that we have here now. I know a lot of people don't like that he's uh, not the best defensive defenseman in the world, but his offense certainly makes up for it. And I don't think this team is nearly what it is without Morgan Riley. So let's send it over to Giuseppe. Giuseppe, tell me about Morgan Riley. Yeah, you know what, Josh? I think a big part of his game as of late was the contract signing. You know, he signs that big deal in the end of October. And he actually had a game against the New York Rangers where he scored two goals. One was a fantastic toe drag through the defenseman and just beat Shesterkin down low. You know, I think a big part of his game being as good as it is, is the fact that the Leafs have shown that they trust him to be the future defenseman of the franchise. You know, he's been there for us. He's the longest serving Leaf on the team. And, you know, he's got eight years left with the team now. So I think right now, this season, he's doing phenomenal. And I think this will be the Morgan Riley we see to come in the next eight years. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, uh, Morgan Riley's only been improving this year. And I know he's going to improve as years uh, keep coming. But, uh, yeah, like, even in the last month, he's had, I think, 13 points, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, eight of those points have come in the last uh, two weeks. And so this guy just keeps improving and improving as weeks come on. And I think it's only up here, up from here with Morgan Riley. 
Yeah, I'm extremely um, happy with Morgan's play so far this year. As you know, Daniel, um, I did pick him in my fantasy team, so he's uh, you know, doing extremely well for me, and um, I'm really rooting for him down the line here. He's one of my favorite players on the team. But as we talk about Morgan, and we just finished with Matthews, that leads us to the power play and how hot it is right now. Now, before I send things over to Giuseppe, um, the Marner injury caused the power play to obviously um, have to change. And with the change that they did, Sheldon puts on Kasha. And um, like I said in our first episode of Battleboard Leafs podcast, um, I talked about how the offseason actually brought in a lot of guys that under the radar that are going to be you know, vital to this team. And Kasha was a guy that was more known for his offensive work and what he's done um, in the past with teams like the Boston Bruins and the Anaheim Ducks. But when the Leafs brought him over, they put him in that third-line role alongside Kempf, and he's really changed his game to be a two-way player. So when Marner's injury went down and um, we had a slot open on the power play and uh, Sheldon put Kasha out there, I was extremely um, excited for it because I know Kasha has that offensive ability in him. I've seen him play with the Boston Bruins and Anaheim. Like I said, I've watched many of his games. Um, he certainly has that offensive uh, talent in him. So to put him on the power play, I knew for sure, as uh, you know on my Twitter, I tweeted out, um, Cash is going to be one to watch on the power play. And so far, he's been huge to why this uh, hot streak on this power play um, you know, is on running right now. So, Giuseppe, um, tell me your thoughts on the least power play, which has been absolutely insane over the last couple weeks. Yeah, you know what, Josh? When you got Austin Matthews, Morgan Riley, William Nylander, John Tavares, big names like that on the power play, you don't expect anything less than what they've been doing. And it's phenomenal that they've been doing it so consistently this season. And as you said, with the Marner injury, you got Kasha on the power play now. You know, you might expect some change, but I think the power play has just been as hot and as consistent as it has been with Marner. And, you know, the Leafs are capitalizing one or two power plays in the past couple weeks every game. And you know what? When you're relying on special teams of having your big four on the ice on the power play, you know, and they're performing as they are, I really enjoy it. I think it's good. I think they're doing what they need to. And, yeah, Daniel, you got anything to say about it? I just – I think I'm honestly, like, I'm not surprised at all. Like, you have five of some of the best uh, offensive players in the league out there on a power play. Power plays are really, like, crucial. You need to score on these. They're, like, big for team, like, morale during a game uh, to boost, like, boost confidence during a game and everything. And so, yeah, scoring on power plays is – very, very crucial, as I mentioned before. Honestly, like I, I see what you're building off of there, and that's why I want to interrupt you. Um, I'm sorry, but you said the momentum, right, about the power plays. And I believe it was a game early on in the season against the Tampa Bay Lightning, where it was one nothing um, Tampa Bay for most of the game. It was a tight game. Um, the Leafs uh, tied it up. John Tavares in front of Vasilevsky tips one glove side. We go to overtime. The Leafs get a power play. And they score in overtime to win the game. Nylander takes a shot, top corner, off a pass from Matthews. It was right after that game in November that I found the power play really hit its stride because it started off kind of slow. And everybody was talking about the power play struggles from last year. And after this game, it looked like it started progressing and they started moving the puck a lot better. And then, honestly, um, once Marner went down with uh, his injury, um, 
and Kasha went on, it, Kasha was like a perfect fit. Like out of nowhere, this power play exploded and it was huge in games um, at Scotiabank Arena. And I remember um, the game against Tampa where two of the three goals were on the power play. And I tweeted that before the game um, that the power play is going to be crucial. And when you have, like you said, Daniel, the power play is so important um, to building a contender and a championship team because how much good it can provide for your lineup. Um, if you're down in a one nothing game and you have a power play that's you know streaking hot like the Toronto Maple Leafs one right now, um, when you get those opportunities, you just know that eventually a goal is going to come. And it is so vital, um, even in the postseason. And we've seen a lot of these teams where we get to the playoffs and the power play is just cold and it's got nothing going for them. And I think if the Leafs get that power play going in the postseason, that they will find success. And I believe once this team gets out of the first round, they're going to be probably the hardest team in the league to stop, in my opinion, because they are going to have the weight lifted off their shoulders like they've never had before. And when you have a bunch of young, talented players like the Maple Leafs do, with Matthews, Nylander, and Mitch Marner, even the veteran presence of John Tavares, this team can do something special. So before I send it back over to Giuseppe about Marner and his injury, um, it looks like with now the season being postponed due to COVID-19, um, the Leafs' next game is scheduled for uh, December 27th against the Columbus Blue Jackets. That was the first game that Marner's timeline um, let a game open for his availability. So by the time the Leafs play again, we could potentially see Marner back on the ice. Um, Giuseppe, I want to ask you, when Marner is officially healthy and ready to return, would you take Kasha off the power play and put Marner back on? Or would you go and try and find a two-system power play where unit one is a little less powered, uh, like I don't know how you would call it, you know, powered up, I guess, um, and have more of a balanced two power play system? Or would you just go all out on power play one? Yeah, you know what, Josh? I think when Marner comes back, I believe I like the idea of two balanced power plays, you know, maybe put Marner, let Kashe stay on the first one and put Marner on the second or move it around however they may do. But I think two balanced power plays might actually work. Maybe not for the better, but it may be a more consistent guaranteed one power play goal per game or something like that. Only because we've seen both power plays work right now and we know they both work. They both score goals. So potentially putting another star player on the second power play could make that one more effective, can make the Leafs' special units as a whole more effective, give opponents something more to worry about. Yeah, I mean, you're right with everything you said there. Um, actually, it reminds me of uh, at the start of last season, um, you know, in the All-Canadian Division, Sheldon Keefe tried rolling out a two-power play system with Marner and Tavares on a different unit than Matthews and Nylander, and... They tried running it. Obviously, it had its ups and downs, and then it eventually completely fell off the rails, and they went right back to the, uh, I guess, the superstar line um, on the power play. Um, Daniel, you have a lot of experience in your hockey career. Um, how do you feel about a two-power, um, like a two-unit uh, power play where, um, you know, the first unit might be a little dense, but the second unit is well balanced instead of having one complete power line? Um, I do think it depends on, like, the players on your team, obviously. If you have, like, enough players to balance out two power plays, that is a good option. But throughout, like, 
myself playing, I find that it's more effective to just stack one power play, maybe have them on for like a minute and a half of the two minute penalty, or on the two minute power play, and then it's just like more of a chance to score with your top guys on the ice. If you have five of your top guys on the ice, there's just a higher chance of you scoring. So again, if they have the majority of the power play time, um, like I just think it's going to be a higher chance of them scoring. Yeah, that makes uh, total sense. Um, the only problem that I find is the second power play unit the Leafs are rolling out right now. I know Mikheyev's coming back. Uh, we'll get to that. And um, Richie's kind of had a really slow start. Believe me, one goal. Um, that I, I expected so much more of Richie. And a lot of uh, people that listened to the first episode know that too. Um, I'm just not happy with the second unit's production. I don't find that. I don't think they've been, uh, you know. Um, successful at all in helping the team generate even momentum like forget about capitalizing on chances or scoring goals like they are just constantly um, out of sync and um, just looks like sloppy at times and a lot of that is um, you know due to they don't shoot enough in my opinion Um, a lot of times you just got to bear down and fire the shots and um, sometimes you're going to get lucky and I find players like Angval they hold on to the puck a little too much and they waste shooting opportunities uh, looking for the perfect pass and it backfires on the team and we've seen that time and time again I've uh, said many times on this podcast that there's been moments where some of these players should have taken the shot and it would have had a better result even if they missed the net or if they hit the post or something but holding on to the puck and then eventually losing possession just kills the momentum of the team so enough about power plays Um, let's get to Mikheyev coming back um Obviously, I love Mikheyev, um, super uh, fast uh, skater. We saw that last year um, when he was skating with McDavid, and that broke the internet. Um, Mikheyev also, I didn't even know this, but um, I remember in the preseason, I looked, there was a stat that Mikheyev actually led the league in, like, high-danger chances with, like, the lowest, like, conversion rate. So, like, this guy's getting his opportunities without scoring. So, I mean, in the eye test, we could see how many times we see Mikheyev, like, in his career with Toronto, have these breakaways or mini uh, high-danger chances, and the guy can't score. Like, he cannot buy a goal. And, like, I don't know what you do with that. Like, there's no personal trainers you can help uh, hire in these situations. Um, so Mikheyev coming back certainly adds a threat, somebody you can definitely throw in the second unit. Um, Daniel, what do you think Mikheyev brings to this team now after how hot they've been um, in this middle part of the season? Like you said, they started off slow. Um, do you think Mikheyev's return is important for the roster, or do you think that his value can be used on a different team in a potential trade? No, I think I think he's great on the roster. And when, when I think of Elon Mikheyev, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think of just a really fast skater, generates a lot of offense, and from – my experience watching Ilya Mikheyev, I can clearly see that yeah, he does have struggling or does struggle to finish on chances. But that's again, like you said, you can't really train that too too well. That's more of a mental thing. Maybe he's like gripping a stick and extra tight, like getting a little too nervous when he's in these opportunities. Um, but yeah, once he starts burying more and more and more, these great chances that he's like making, they will keep going in more and more of the time. That like um, I'm trying to think of the word that like. Capitalizing? No, no. Um, that difference between the chances he's getting and the goals he's scoring is going to become a lot and a lot closer than what it is right now, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you know what, Daniel? I want to build off that. As you said, Ilya Mikheyev, you think of him, you think of speed. 
but as we saw last year, he wasn't the biggest point getter, or at least as much as people would have expected him to. And I think his return, I hope he cracks a spot on the roster for the rest of the season. I love watching him. You know, he's a very exciting player to watch. But the thing is, you bring in new names like Bunting, Richie, Kashe, Comp, and you got to wonder, will he be good enough to crack a spot with players like Michael Bunting, who's impressed me. He's very gritty. He's very quick. He gets in the dirty places. But in terms of Ilya Mikheyev, yeah, he's quick. I think he would be a good fit on this Leafs roster. You know, as Josh said, his high-speed high chances, whether they're mini breakaways or up the wing, just can't convert onto the shot. But, yeah, I would really like to see Mikheyev kind of spark it up again. All right, now going the complete opposite of speed. Um, this is definitely going to be an entertaining topic I'm going to bring up here. Uh, Leafs media has been on this for a while. I'm sure whoever's listening right now exa- knows exactly what's coming. Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall, the pairing that was so promised in the offseason, how this team was going to be a complete shutdown pair, um, these two guys, and how important they were going to be to the Leafs roster, and how this is the reason why that they protected Justin Hall over Jared McCann in the expansion draft and how much Hall means to this team, and how much he works well with Muzzin, and how um, good of uh, chemistry they have. They have been (laughs) far from great this season. Um, I know both of you guys have a lot to say on this, so we'll start off with Giuseppe. Giuseppe, I know you've been dying to talk about this. Go ahead. Yeah, you know what, Josh? It's kind of disappointing when last season I pick up Justin Hall on my fantasy team. He does phenomenal. You know, not all for the goals and assists, but his defensive play, the block shots, the hits, everything he does, it made an impact last year. And yeah, I've been nothing but disappointed with how he and Muzzin work together. I'm kind of the opposite. I've never been a big Justin Hall fan. Every time I watch him, he doesn't really impress me that much. I know like he does have like some good numbers in some areas, but every time I watch him, like he doesn't seem to do that much. But who's really disappointing me is uh, Jake Muzzin, as I own him in three fantasy leagues, and he has done absolutely nothing for me. <laughs> and it shows on the ice. It's just like he hasn't been producing. I don't know if it's all in his head or what's going on. I'm hoping he snaps out of it like quickly, like not just for my fantasy team's sake, but for the Leafs' sake. Uh, I, I think like once he gets going again, it's going to be that much better for this team, even though they're looking really good right now. If they start to produce the way we know they can, um, it's it's going to be nothing but good for the Leafs, but they need to snap out of this. You know, just like you said, uh, Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall, um, definitely far from good. Um, Justin Hall, uh, like I said, how much he was, uh, you know, sold out to be in the offseason about how much this team needed him, which I did agree with at the time. You know, right-handed shot. The Leafs don't have very many of those, and it's very thin on the right side on this Leafs roster. But Hall has just not been in it this year. And um, I'm going to start with Hall first. I'll translate to Muzzin. But, um, you know, Hall has been a guy that uh, obviously when Babcock was here, um, he was in Babcock's doghouse, right? Um, He didn't get very um, much playing time. Heck, even any games. Um, He was always a healthy scratch throughout the whole year. Um, So when he came and Sheldon... um, you know, when he came into the lineup more frequently and Sheldon was now coach, 
Um, he did all right. He did his job, being you know a stay-at-home guy. Um, he really let Muzzin go out there and uh, do Jake Muzzin things, which Jake Muzzin has done a lot this year. You know, go take his offensive opportunities. Um, Hall was a good piece of this team. I remember I watched a game. Um, it was Oilers and Leafs, and I really liked Justin's Hall. Uh, Justin Hall's play on McDavid, and he was physical, and that was something I felt the Leafs lacked a lot. Um, especially being a right-handed shot with that, too. Um, so that's why I, I defended the Leafs' uh, decision uh, to protect him over McCann. Obviously, this year, Hall has been um, awful, but, um, you know, a lot of people are like, what do you do with Justin Hall right now? Um, in my opinion, you can't really do anything. You just got to let him play. You got to let him play through this. Um, I can tell being at Coach Bank Arena, it looks like a mental thing as well. It looks like he's playing without confidence. It looks like he doesn't trust himself. He doesn't trust who, uh, his D partners at time. Um, like the Jonathan Taze goal, like what was he doing? Um, you know, it's a goal that's sitting in the back of my mind constantly right now because I remember being at the game and just like, what did I just watch? Um, so I think you just got to let him play it out. He's still vital to the penalty kill. Uh, the least penalty kill unit has, you know, been very important this year. It's a lot um, more uh, physical in terms of getting on the puck and, uh, not letting opponents take their opportunities. So I think he's still uh, serviceable in that area. I think maybe cut his minutes down, um, let him earn those minutes again instead of giving them to him. Um, and I don't think playing him with Muzzin is best. Um, I think maybe a different partner, uh, such as Sandine when he comes back, or even Dermot. Although I do like Dermot's play this year a lot. I think Dermot's one of the most underrated Leafs performers this year. Um, you know, his advanced analytics are perfect. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, a very underrated player that doesn't get a lot of credit. A lot of people say, oh, you know, put him in a package of a trade. But Dermot's been really good um, for this team so far. Now translating over to Muzzin. Um, Muzzin is having advanced analytically his worst season since his rookie year. I remember countless times... Um, via the eye test, seeing how many opportunities this guy has given up. And um, like I said, when I referred back to that game in November against Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa Bay's lone goal in that game was because Muzzin didn't take the shot um, when he's in the offensive area. Instead, he skated around the net. It was a whole uh, mess up, deflected off Perry, and they went the other way on an odd man rush. And Muzzin had to come all the way around from the net uh, in the Tampa Bay zone, and he did a Superman dive and almost killed Campbell. Um, it was a total tire fire. I have no idea what he was doing. But I find he does this too often so far this year. Um, you know, he just looks lost at, at, at certain times. Um, he is a veteran, though. I do expect him to get through this. The only thing that scares me a little more than Hall, and I think I don't want to be bold here and say, like, fire a hot take, but I think Jake Muzzin's play right now is actually more scary than Justin Hall only because we've seen defensemen like uh, Jake Muzzin who play those big, tough minutes and that are, uh, you know, like they're physical and it's really tough on the body. Their decline is a lot sharper than a, like an ordinary other defenseman that plays a different style of hockey. Um, and when they have big contracts like that, um, it's very dangerous. Like a good example is like Shea Weber, for example, who, um, you know, had a great career, although he played on Montreal um, still a fantastic defenseman, and I wish him all the best in retirement, but he's a perfect example of what happens to these big, tough defensemen that get worn down over time, and then you're stuck with their hefty contracts. So I'm really worried about Jake Muzzin, um, but the season's still kind of young, I guess. 
Um, Giuseppe, I'm going to let you take back over now. What do you want to say? So, you know, Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall, you know, I think they could use a different setting, whether they're not with each other or whether one of them has to go or not. But you know what? This brings in the possibility of an outside defenseman, someone not on the Leafs, and a big name that's going around the league right now because their team is trying to shop him is uh, uh, Chikrin. Yeah, Jacob Chikrin. Uh, that was all over the media um, for the last month or so. Uh, the defenseman of the Arizona Coyotes who scored 20 goals last year. Um, certainly one of the best offensive defensemen in the league. Um, his advanced analytic numbers um, you know, are extremely solid. Uh, he's a great player. Um, however, this year, um, it's, it's been tough for him. You know, he's minus 29 on the season. Um, like I said, his advanced metrics are trending downwards. Um, so obviously, like, look where he's playing. He's playing on Arizona with uh, Andrew Ladd and, you know, players that aren't really up to championship caliber. So obviously a decline was expected. I don't think anybody saw a decline this sharp coming. Um, he does have two goals for five assists with seven points on the year. Um, and he's young still. And, uh, you know, he's a pretty um, big uh, defenseman who can play the body, but really he's purely an offensive player. Um, I know Nick Kiprios floated out uh, to the media this week on his radio show about Jacob Chicker and one for one for William Nylander. And I'm going to be completely honest. I don't like that trade at all. I don't think it makes sense. Honestly, if you're Arizona and, and Dubas offers that, offers that, you're probably telling Kyle, you know, like, let's add another team to make this a three-way deal because Arizona is going to have no interest in bringing back Nylander. And although Nylander has been an amazing player this year, and the contract that he's make on, on and his contract that he's earning right now, you know, it certainly looks like a steal. But Arizona would only have Nylander for two more years, and they are certainly not going to be playoff contenders for the next couple of years as they have fully hit rebuild mode. So it really makes no sense. I don't know why Nick Caprios would even float that idea out there. I know obviously he probably meant more pieces to the deal and stuff like that, but I don't think Arizona is going to want a player that has full freedom and free agency in two years uh, for Jacob Chikrin. I think it's uh, whoever lands Chikrin is certainly getting a fantastic defenseman. Uh, honestly, one of my favorite players in the National Hockey League. Um, I love uh, Chikrin's play. Um, you know, he's such an offensive threat. It's um, really rare in uh, this generation. Um, but honestly, in terms of fit, uh, like fit and style with the Leafs, I don't think it works. Um, I think you got Morgan Riley already occupying that role. Uh, we all know Morgan Riley's not the best stay-at-home defenseman, like by far. Uh, then on the depth chart, we got Sandine also on the left side, who's more of a two-way guy that has that offensive uh, awareness too, that you don't really need Chikrin um, to be that second or 1A, 1B option behind Morgan Riley. I know Chetrin can play on his off wing um, on the right side, but you know I know in hockey nowadays a lot of players um, don't mind playing on the offside, and you know a lot of left-handed defensemen are playing on the right side. Like example, Canada, uh, Canada's World Junior Team only has like one right-handed shot, uh, sort of like the Leafs. Um, so you know Chetrin, um, I just don't see the fit there. I think Toronto would have to give up like a ridiculous amount of like future assets. And obviously those future assets probably don't mean much to the least right now. 
because they're winning and you know they're always going to be in a playoff spot for the next couple of years. Hopefully, I don't want to jinx anything, so knock on wood. But um, you know, I think those assets are better used in different guys on the Arizona Coyotes. And I'm going to have a trade episode coming out in the future, obviously with you guys. Um, but another like names out there that I think would be more reasonable are guys like Ilya Liabushkin, who is a right-handed defenseman on Arizona. And this one, here's a little tease for episodes coming. Um, you guys ready? I haven't told you about this yet. Phil Kessel coming back to Toronto. I know, it's, it's crazy. And the money's got to work and all that stuff, but we're going to have an episode on that coming soon. So everybody listening, stay tuned for that. Um, Daniel, is there anything you want to add on Chitrin? Obviously, he's a goal scorer. Um, would you burn assets on bringing in another offensive defenseman, or where would you look to uh, build this team stronger in the upcoming, uh, you know, stretch run after we finally get through this uh, COVID-19 outbreak? I'm not going to lie. I don't know too, too much about uh, Jacob Chikrin. I know he is a great offensive defenseman. I don't know how, what his defensive play looks like. But if all he is is uh, just an offensive defenseman, like you said, I think Morgan Riley already fills that role. I guess you could make the argument that having a second offensive defenseman of that caliber wouldn't be a bad thing. But I like the Leafs' decor at the moment. I like, like that we do have a strong offensive defenseman. But I would also be open to adding a, a second one. So either way, I think police decor is already looking good. Yeah, you know what, Daniel? I'd like to add to that. I do think I watched Chikrin play. He is a very good offensive defenseman. But you know what? Right now, I don't think anything really works out in that area. I think maybe come closer to the trade deadline if the price is right. You know, maybe not a William Nylander, but if the price is right, it could be a consideration. But I think for the amount that Arizona is trying to shop him right now, I don't think it will get to that. All right, so as we end, as we near the end of this episode, I just want to touch up on the last couple things about Chitrin. Um, you know, basically our final thoughts as a group here. Um, honestly, as much as we all love Chitrin, the player, uh, basically the fit is not where it doesn't work here. Obviously, the Leafs need a top four defenseman with how the team has played so far. That's a dream asset to you know bring into this roster. But I don't think Chitrin's that guy. Actually, another tease here I'm going to give you guys, a defenseman who could potentially be a better fit for this team is a guy named Damon Severson on the New Jersey Devils. Uh, right-handed shot, um, you know, fits this mold of this team well. Um, we'll obviously get more into that. I don't want to give away all the players that we have in our upcoming trade episode in the near future after the holiday break. But Chitrin to Toronto. Although we would, you know, we would never complain about it, we just can't see the fit happening, and we just think that those assets would be better used elsewhere. Now, before we officially wrap up this episode, I would like to just touch on the World Juniors. Um, obviously, Leafs prospect Ronnie Hervonen, um, if you guys have heard, has cracked Team Finland with also Leaf prospect Hopi Niemla. Um, Hervonen is the captain of the Finland team, and Yemla is the assistant. Uh, Hervonen is a center that um, I'm going to have a World Juniors pre-show podcast coming out later in the week. Uh, Daniel and Giuseppe over here are going to be on holiday break, so they will not be with me on that podcast, but I will have our prospect guy coming with us on the show for that. Um, so 
We'll save a little more in depth for that episode coming out. It should be around the 23rd or Christmas Eve, a short little 20 minute episode, a little juniors uh, preview. Um, so Hervonen <coughs> and Yemla are the two Leaf um, main prospects in this tournament. They're both on Finland. I can't wait to watch Finland, honestly, after Canada. Finland, I think, is a, like a really solid team this year. Um, and with the least prospect on that team, you, you know, you can't root against them. And the only other Leaf prospect in the tournament is Matthew Nyes, uh, the power forward on uh, the U.S. team. Uh, Nyes is, you know, a 6'3 left winger who, um, you know, finds his way in space and a goal scorer that, you know, can find the back of the net well. Uh, almost a point-per-game player the last couple years in the USHA, uh, USHL. Um, obviously, more on these three coming uh later on in the week on our World Junior Preview Show. We'll go all in-depth about these guys. We'll go in-depth about Team Canada, the power play, the lines, who's going to be Team Canada's X Factor, and who's going to be their number one goaltender. And then we'll have a projection and uh, how far we think Team Canada can go since we're all on the same team for that, no matter what Canadian hockey team you support in the National Hockey League. So I would like to thank Daniel for coming on the show today. I would like to thank Giuseppe for coming on the show today. Uh, make sure you follow um, my personal Twitter, uh, J-A-N-S-8-L-M-O. So J and Samo, but with an 8 instead of the E. Uh, and then you can follow the show's Twitter um, at Battleborn. So Battle, spelled uh, regularly, then B-R-N, F-Talk. So Battleborn Fan F-Talk on Twitter for more details and updates on the show. And we'd like to thank you guys all for listening uh, to the Battleborn uh, Fan Talk Network and your Battleborn Leafs podcast. Um, we'll see you guys later on in the week. Go Leafs, go. Mm -hmm.